Welcome to your Rockstar Podcast Show, a podcast to understand personal success stories from successful people. Each month, we'll cover topics on achievements and technology. So, let's dive in. In today's podcast, we'll talk about Ray Cafe, who turned from engineer to an entrepreneur and running an electronic design and embedded software development consultancy called Successful Endeavors Private Limited. First of all, Thanks to Ray for taking his time to speak with us today. So, Ray, please give us a brief outline of your careers so far. Okay, so it's Ray Keith here. The my career really started when I went to university and began a science degree, and realised that I had no idea why I was doing a science degree. So I took a year off, worked a couple of mundane jobs, nothing like that to make you think about the value of an education and joined the pub band and learned to play guitar in that order. It's not the recommended sequence. But what I found was that the electronics equipment we're using for amplifiers and mixers and that sort of stuff was really terrible. And I thought to myself, surely someone can design better than this. And so I went back to my university and asked them, if I want to learn how to design electronics equipment like this, what do I study? And they said, oh, you want to do electrical engineering? And I said, really, is that a thing? And they said, yeah, absolutely. It had certainly never come up when I was at high school. All of the, all of the emphasis at the high school was, do you want to be a doctor, a vet, an accountant, something in commerce? And I said, I like science. And they went, do you want to be a doctor, a vet, an accountant, something in commerce? So, yeah. There really wasn't a very useful process at the time. So I went back to university knowing why I was studying, and that makes such a big difference, I think. When why you're studying and what you're studying for, then you can you really learn and you pour yourself into it. And I was designing equipment and selling it to professional musicians and recording studios while I was at university. I didn't realize that was actually a bit entrepreneurial at the time. I was just hungry to learn and to practice what I was uh, teaching me in class. And it seemed like the easiest way to do that was to get people who needed stuff and design it for them and, and learn from that process. Having graduated, I didn't get a job straight away, but I went and spent six months as an overseas aid volunteer in Pakistan. And that was a bit of an eye-opener as well because here in Australia we're in a, you know, First world nation, fully developed, everything's clean, sanitation, healthcare, relative social equity. Whereas Pakistan is completely different. And I quickly realized I was one of the world's rich. And with that comes some responsibility to take that position to do something good with it. So when I came back to Australia, I got a job in railway signaling engineering because take the first job you can get. Didn't really like it, but learned some useful things like fail-safe design. Mm-hmm. Worked for ABC Television as a broadcast engineer for a couple of years and then worked for Varian doing spectrophotometers and scientific equipment. And that's where the intersection between what I'd been doing with audio and scientific, that's when the penny dropped that Designing high-quality scientific equipment used a lot of the same skills as designing really high-quality audio processing equipment. And from there, then went to work for a company called Invitech. So I spent 
just under 10 years there. Ended up running at one stage their electronics group, their software group, and their major product group, development group all at the same time, uh, plus also doing some of the project leadership. So I was having fun, and but was pretty busy. It was also there that I realized that companies like that do excellent work, but they're unaffordable to your typical SME in Australia. So having spent 10 years there, I then set up Successful Endeavours, as a mechanism for helping people in the SME end of the market be able to get consulting class product development services but at an affordable price. So that gets me to working for successful endeavours. Successful endeavours had a problem and the problem was that in engineering school they don't teach you anything about how to run a business because there's way too much engineering for them to teach you to fit other stuff in. So it really took a while before my wife and I realized that the real problem is we didn't actually know how to grow a business, how to make it function in the marketplace. So we're doing good, pro- good, doing good work and projects, but it was just me and I wasn't making the difference I wanted to make. It wasn't until I went and found someone I could learn business principles from and had a multi-year serious education in that process that my wife and I were able to put some proper legs on this business and really start to take off. So I've got a couple of jokes that come out of that period. One is that as a business owner, I made a very good engineer. Mm. And the other one is that I've been involved in two startups. It was the same company. We just did it properly the second time. That's great. That's great, right? And I I agree with your idea. Universities and schools um, in previous days and these days, they don't teach a lot of your practical life. Basically, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, these people also quitted the universities and schools to make some big differences. So there's no, everything which is taught in the schools and universities are kind of theoretical. So when you come out of your school or university, uh, you are back to scare one. You, 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 all, you, have, you have all the theoretical stuff, but you don't know how to start off your career or how to start off your business as an entrepreneur, isn't it? Yeah, that's an interesting point. If you look at Bill Gates, you know, he was at Harvard and mm-hmm. he dropped out of Harvard because he just founded the first software development company mm-hmm. in the world called Microsoft. Yeah. And the opportunity he had with IBM was so much bigger than anything that Harvard were going to be able to teach him, that he just had to go for it. Uh, Steve Jobs, on the other hand, ran out of money. And so they had quite different reasons for dropping out. Uh, At Stanford, Steve Jobs gave a presentation where he talked about the fact that that was a really good thing for him because once he'd run out of money, he said to them, well, what do I do now? They said, well, you can go and sit in in, in any class you like, you know, Mm -hmm. because you paid up till mid-year. You can audit any class you like because you're not going to sit the exams. We don't mind if you take up a seat in the room as long as no one else is missing out. So he went and sat in lots of classes, and the class that really sparked his imagination was calligraphy. Yes, yeah, calligraphy. And that he was talking about in his um, biography that the calligraphy is the one where he did the, where he invented, which helped him inventing the touchpad for the iPhone. So he he used calligraphy skills. Yeah, it started the whole idea of having fonts on a screen. Yep. So you can actually change the way text looked. Yeah, and so even right back in the days of the Lisa and the Macintosh, 
that was a big driver for him. What you see is what you get editing. And he really got that. Absolutely. Andre, what decided you to become an entrepreneur and what I can see you are from your from your history and I was reading through that you are a winner and not a winner. So how how you get that sort of attitude? I've always wanted to make a difference. I've always wanted to do tackle hard things. The reality is that the world needs help. We've got a lot of issues, challenges in front of us. So whether it's uh, climate change and global warming, whether it's environmental pollution and clean air, clean water, clean soil, whether it's recycling, whether it's disease, whether it's health. At the moment, we've got this pandemic with COVID-19 where we're having to take extraordinary measures as a society in order to look after each other. Um, these are all tough problems and we can't solve them simply and you can't solve them by just waving magic wands. There's actual thinking got to happen. There's actual work got to happen. So I guess I've always, I've always enjoyed a challenge. You know, a few, at my company has done the impossible a few times. It really helps to not be told up front that it's meant to be impossible because you look with fresh eyes. But what I've normally found is that when people say it's impossible, what they mean is the lens I've looked at this problem through is not able to solve the problem. It doesn't mean the problem's not solvable. It just means that how I'm looking at it can't get me to the finish line. Mm, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And Andre, what, what one thing you wish uh, you would have known before you started your career? Oh, that's a really tough one. There's probably more than one. I, I would say in order of importance, the first one was that people really matter. Anything mm. significant you're going to do is going to need a partnership with people, other yeah. people, because yeah, you know, anything really tough is too big for one person to tackle on their own. And I've been, I, I did too much of my early career as a maverick, as a really good individual, whereas the business I run now can only work because we've got teams of people doing stuff. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be that in order to be successful, you've got to make sure that every factor required for your success is operating at an adequate level. So in the case of engineering, you've got to be smart, you've got to be educated, and you've got to apply that. So uh, so there's that technical capability leg. So if you think about a stool, a stool's got to have at least three legs or it falls over. So the first leg is you've got to have sufficient technical ability and capability. The second one is you've got to be good enough with people to be able to partner, help, listen, join with other people to make stuff happen. And the third part of it is that you've also got to have a good enough reason for doing it. And money isn't a good enough reason if you're in a rich country. I know survival, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you're in survival, you'll do anything. I understand that. But if you're not in survival, if you've got choices, then you need a really good reason for why you're doing what you're doing, a really good purpose for it. And if you don't have that combination of good enough with others, good enough yourself to play your part, and a good enough driving reason to make it happen, uh, then I think a lot of people end up in stagnation because they just don't have those three things. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, I agree with you, Are, as to, to make a business successful, like as an entrepreneur, or you need a, you need big-headed persistence. 
and you, you need a manpower as well. So one and one is 11. And starting a new business or trying to make your business successful is shoveling a cabbage through through a keyhole. So you have to you have to uh, swallow every everything which is com- coming into your line, and then you have to triage uh, um, the things which you, which you don't need. I was reading uh, this book from uh, Steve Jobs, and he was saying becoming a successful is not about choosing the right right thing, choosing the right right stuff. It is about rejecting the stuff which you don't need because in this world, this world is it, it is full of information. You don't need all the information to be successful. So you have to triage which is which is coming on your way and what what information is best for you. Yeah, certainly you have to decide uh, who you are and who you're not, and you also have to decide what you do and what you don't. So as an individual, you have to decide that. As a business, you also have to decide that. For instance, a lot of people in startup mode try to save money by doing their own books. Um, and it's a terrible use of their time. They absolutely should be giving that task away. Unless they're an expert at bookkeeping and accounting, they should be absolutely giving that task away to another business and get them to do that for them so they can focus on the thing that they need to make happen. And in Australia, we're really not very good at the partnering and we're not really good at understanding the value proposition that if we share the pie with others, then we don't get a smaller share of the pie ourselves. We make it possible for the pie to get bigger for everyone. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And Andre, like, what are the best books you recommend to, to our audience? Uh, are you read? Do you read any books regularly? Uh, yeah, so I probably read a book a fortnight. There are a lot of books. So the real problem with books is they're a bit like there's so much stuff out there. So you have to be, you know, really quite selective in what you read. In terms of entrepreneurship, in the technical space, books like The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen is a really good book about the whole innovation process and how it works. Our own local Australian, Roger LaSalle's written an excellent book on innovation processes called Think New. So that's got a whole toolkit you can use for thinking about how to find problems that need to be solved and then different approaches you can take for going at solving those problems. And then another Australian author, Amantha Imber of Inventium in Sydney has written a book called The Innovation Formula. So in terms mm-hmm. of technology and innovation space, those are three really good books. In the business space, it's much harder. There's such a torrent of books coming out on leadership and business and stuff like that, and a lot of them really uh, miss the mark. But another Australian author, Shelley Flett, who's read, written an excellent book uh, on leadership. So I don't remember the name of it. I'm having a mental blank here. If I think about it later, I'll mention it. But uh, certainly anyone can get in touch with me if they're interested in it. What she's done is she's taken her experience as a leader in Australia, and she's written about that in the Australian cultural context. And so it is a very, very useful book on understanding what leadership looks like in the Australian context, because a lot of stuff that's written in, say, the US context only works in the US. You can't do startups here like you do in the US. You can't just keep going bankrupt, spending other people's money, rolling the dice and trying anything. That's not a formula for success in Australia. 
And Andre, do you read the whole book or you follow that eighty twenty rule? Like you have to, you have to, you have to read fast. And they say you don't have to read whole book uh, to understand hundred percent. Just read twenty percent of the book to to get eighty percent result out of it. So basically, which means you are reading fast and you're getting eighty percent of the results by reading a book instead of uh, taking weeks and weeks to read a book and then you're getting hundred percent results. Okay, so I have two strategies. If mm-hmm. if it's a book by an author and I want to really understand the author's whole mindset, I read the whole book. I did a course in speed reading. Mm-hmm. I recommend everyone learns to speed read. Depending on your learning modality, you, some people will find it harder than others. The reason you're not taught to speed read at school is they couldn't afford the libraries if they taught you, so they mm-hmm. actually don't teach it. So it's so it is something that you can learn to read. So, you know, I can read it 600 words a minute, which is not super fast, but it's four times the average. So that means that I can get through a book that would normally take, you know, somebody 40 hours to read. I can get through that in 10 hours. So that's one thing. You don't lose any comprehension with proper speed reading. It's not word skipping. It's about absorbing the information faster. The second strategy I use is I subscribe to a service called Executive Summaries. What Mm -hmm. Executive Summaries does is that it condenses the core ideas of a book down and distills them for you. So if you just want to understand the ideas in a book but you don't want to try and get the author's whole mindset, then that's a good way to do it. I've really not found that trying to skip through books and just pick and choose bits to be a very effective method. Cool. And are these uh, the courses which help uh, help you in the in in speed reading? Are they like uh, usually available uh, online, or we have to sit in a class? Or these days they they've got to be online, don't they? <laughs> right at the moment, but yes, they are available online. Uh, I did mine as part of the business coaching program that I was in, mm-hmm. so that was one of the things that they actually taught within the business coaching program to mm-hmm. accelerate people's learning. And so I've read. I've read everything that Malcolm Gladwell publishes because he's got such a good and insightful mind that he really looks at issues in a different way and it really helps me to think about social problems and about equality. But even even something like Outliers really challenges the assumption that a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs was somehow a uniquely gifted person and that's the only way that could have happened. They just happen to be in the right space at the right time with the right mindset and and they needed to be bright enough and they needed to have that entrepreneurial spirit. But if you look at where things happen and we, if you look at where the opportunities happen, there's a lot of right place, right time stuff happening rather than you have to build Bill Gates to do that. Now, having said that, Bill Gates is extremely smart. I mean, he'd done 10,000 hours worth of programming by the time he was 15 mm-hmm. um, in an era when nobody could get access to a computer. So he was lucky to have gone to a school but had a terminal. But the deal was he had to, he could only use the terminal out of normal business hours for IBM because it was hooked across to IBM. That's how the relationship started. And so he programmed in the evening and the early morning and he really pursued that and he really understood it. He did summer work at IBM. So he was someone who could see where things were going uh, and he could could see the direction things had to take. And he's built Microsoft as a business, 
has created the infrastructure that makes our modern world possible from an IT perspective. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, true, true. Makes sense. And with the executive summaries, are a, like they are online or they're sort of a book uh, which you can subscribe to and they will post you at your postal address? Yeah, so executive summaries is actually a an online service and you can download either a written transcript mm-hmm. or you can download it as an a podcast, basically, of the book. The idea being you can listen to them while you're driving or traveling and that sort of stuff and use that time to actually educate yourself as well. So basically audio books we can say in short. Uh, audio books is one of the mechanisms and there's lots of new apps out that are taking exactly this approach, which is taking an important set of ideas in a book and condensing them down into a podcast length. Uh, presentation. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, makes sense. And Ray, you follow any role models? I certainly uh, see Bill Gates as a role model and mm-hmm. uh, the way he went about that. Yeah, that, that yeah. one's an interesting one. Different people have influenced me at different times. You know, I'm, I'm someone who goes to church, so I follow Jesus as a role model. Uh, <laughs> he made a bigger difference to the world than anybody else I know. And I'm also look to other local people. So the Waterman Business Group, you know, Neville Waterman, you know, fantastic guy, huge vision for how to grow business in Australia, not so that he can make money, but so that business can really flourish. You know, really wonderful thing to, to see legs coming onto a vision like that. And I, it is rightly said, like, if you follow a role model, or try to imitate them, you will become same, same like the role model one day, or you will be very close to that role model one day. And uh, it is also said like you are average of five people close to you. So your, your, your relationship impacts how, how you think. So if you have relationship and friendship with good people, forward thinking people, rich people, for example, you will be same, same one day. So that's the whole, that's the nutshell of the idea. Like you are, your average of five people close to you. Yeah, that's a really scary thought, isn't it? So in order to grow, you need to lose the influence of people who will hold you back and you need to seek the influence of people who will help you move forward. One example from my life is that I joined the Southeast Melbourne Manufacturers Alliance Future of Manufacturing Program. So that was a federal government program that they created the curriculum for uh, and delivered it through uh, with a lot of input from Frank Connolly from Think Quick. And mm-hmm. by becoming part of that program, I put myself in a room with business people who were way ahead of where I was. Mm-hmm. And I learned such a lot from them about aspects of business that I wasn't thinking about yet, but which if I didn't set myself up for correctly, would become a problem for my business as it grew. So my business has grown by a factor of 10 since mm. I started that process. So I definitely agree, get yourself in good forums with people around you that you can learn from, that you can aspire to be like, and you will lift. You will lift. Yep. Because you are in the same phase of thinking and you have to... Uh, let alone all those guys who are negative thinkers who who push your who push your legs backwards. That's that's the way you grow. So be with be with positive positive 
positive thinking people and always think positive and and stay motivated and that's that's how you grow yes yeah, certainly a positive mindset is helpful i like what sir winston churchill said about that during the war they said mr churchill why are you so positive when everything is going so bad you know how can you be so optimistic and he said what was the point of the other position again uh sorry well that's the saying you know what's the yep. point of being a pessimist what yes, is yes. What, what is the point Where, what do you get from it and so yes we need to we need to do risk management and risk assessment we need to think about what could go wrong and we need yep. to plan for it and all of that sort of stuff but that's that's just good strategic thinking it doesn't mm. mean that you act as if that's going to be the outcome you're just doing it's the reason that we have insurance is because there's a lot of things that we can't control so if there's a risk you can't manage but somebody else can then get help so basically control the controllables and don't think about what you can't control like like yeah. covid we can't control it so control the controllable what is in your hand just stay home stay safe don't go out only go out if you need to yeah. so just control what you can control good yeah. and Andre how how you define how you define success uh i was reading through your through your email which you have sent i have seen you have won around like 30 to 40 different awards so how you manage to win so many awards and how you define success yeah so the the awards process came out of a conversation i was having with my business coach so in We started that program in 2008 and one of the first questions he asked me is are you any good? Mm-hmm. And of course I said, yeah, yeah, we're really good at engineering and he goes, okay, prove it. Mm-hmm. And so he really challenged me to think about it from the other person's perspective. How can they tell if I'm any good? Now, as it turned out, our business there had already been two awards for things we'd done as a business, but we hadn't even told anybody about it because you know they were other people's products and other people's names were on the award but we did the work so the first thing i did was go and ask them for testimonial or at least for permission to promote the award and from one of those businesses uh, we got permission for both and that's a company called safe turn and from the other business we got permission for neither so we only used one of those initially the other business has since gone out of business so i'm now happily using them there's no one left to object The next thing we did then is I had a conversation with a business that we'd done a product for that year so this is in 2009 to put their the design work we did for their product forward for some awards and I said and we'll make sure your names on it we can both use it for joint marketing all that sort of stuff they were happy to do that that product which was a corrosion protection data logger one a highly commended award at the national level for both analog design and for use of design software and so that's that's when we really started to see it but the reason I knew it made a difference is that when it was announced we were a finalist we posted it on our website and I let a few people know one of those people was a new client that new mm. client got back to me and said I'm so glad you sent this to me because we haven't really done anything together up until now and we weren't really so sure but now that we can see that you're even a finalist for an award like this our confidence is just you know so much better thank you for that and and i realized it's not about me the, the australian poor poppy syndrome 
we don't want to promote ourselves. We're never going to be like the Americans, rah, 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 I'm fantastic. Mm. But what I realized was that if I can give people confidence, then that will help them to engage with what we do, and that's good for them. As soon as I realized it was about helping them rather than just trying to show off, um, then I was okay with it, although it did take me a while to get used to it. So we've actively looked for opportunities for awards that we can apply for. Most of them we put in the application ourselves. So the local council awards here where we've been KC Business of the Year, uh, those are you, you do the application yourself. Very few of the awards that we've won uh, somebody else has nominated us for. And I think in Australia we're not very good at nominating other people. Cool. So at the moment we are ICT Business of the Year for Australia. We've just won the Environmental Solution of the Year for Australia. And we're also Manufacturer of the Year for the KC Cadinia region, which is the area our business is located. And so those, those classes of awards really give people confidence that we're a business that they can have a conversation with. And I was going through your list. It is a long list. <laughs> I wasn't able to count it. So good stuff. Over good 50. Stuff, man. Yeah. Over 50, yeah. yeah. And Andre, what, what is your biggest failure? So, and what, what, you, what did you learn from it? My biggest failure? Yep. Wow. The biggest failure initially was not realizing that being a good engineer wasn't enough to have a great business. And so what I learned from that was that I needed an education and that all of those business systems that had been in every other business I'd ever worked in, where all the account stuff happened and the administrative stuff happened and the communications and the marketing and the sales and all those sort of things all got handled by other people, that you know, when you start your own business, you've got to do all of that yourself. And if, you, and if you're missing one of those pieces, your business might get stuck at a particular spot until you fix that. So it's called a reverse salient, and it means what's the thing that's holding me back? Because until you fix that, it doesn't matter what else you improve, you're not going forward. The way I look at it now is it's like one of those old wooden buckets with the vertical pails as the sides of them, like Jack and Jill went up the hill type thing. The amount of water that bucket can hold is dependent on the shortest pail. So if, if those pails represent aspects of your business, if I was an engineer, I've been making the engineering pail longer and longer and longer and longer, but my bucket isn't holding any more water because that's not the problem. Yes. So, yeah, understand, understanding the problem and fixing that problem. So I spent a decade not doing that. Uh, I think, right, understanding the problem is, is the bigger thing. So... Uh, resolution to a problem consists of two parts. 80% is the time is taken to find the problem and 20% is for the resolution. So if you can find the correct problem, what is the root cause is, the resolution is very simple. But if you can't find the problem, then you can't resolve it, isn't it? Correct. And trying stuff randomly will have random results. You'll get lucky some of the time and you'll think you did something right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the way to address it. And, and uh, right, I was reading through your email, you have 11 grandchildrens and you turned 50. How do you feel about it? Yes, so that was a little while ago. So we're now at 19 grandchildren and I just turned 60. Oh, cool, man. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah. And you're yeah. still young. Still young. <laughs> yeah. It's like somebody wrote, you know, wrote, wrote a scene for a movie and just dropped me in it. 
I really don't know how all that happened. It was just one of those things that's happened over time. Jet and I really enjoy our grandchildren. Mm. They don't live particularly close at the moment, so, you know, we have to travel to visit. And at the moment, we're not allowed to travel at all. So uh, we do the odd Zoom session. But it's such an interesting thing seeing the different values and the different perspectives of generation after generation. My parents grew up during the Great Depression, so they were always very worried about spending money. They were always held on to everything, very conservative approach to life. I've grown up post-World War II, so born in 1960. So I've, I've been there for the big boom and for the fourth industrial, you know, third industrial revolution, the whole computer numerical control, automation, mm. repetitive manufacturing process stuff in my teens computers started to be available so i started programming and playing with those in my teens it was quite interesting how quickly that happened because when i was at secondary school we weren't allowed to use calculators and calculators were only add multiply divide subtract and maybe had a memory function Mm -hmm. they rapidly went to and here's all the scientific functions you need and then we had computers where you could actually program your own stuff all that stuff happened in like a space of five years and so, and, you know, it was a huge shift. Yeah, and technology is growing very, very, very fast these days. It's, it's, it's growing too quickly and everything is happening quite quick because it is very easy to provision or easy to set up the IT services these days. So everything is, is in the cloud. So we have a lot of companies which reach us. They have the idea and they just, they don't, they don't want to wait. And it take only like few hours to put a services for them in the cloud. As you know, you you are an ITC uh, award winner. Um, it is very easy, getting very easy and easy these days because you can do that those stuff in the fly. Uh, certainly, there are some things that that that's the case for. So, uh, deciding to go from on-premise office Windows environment to in cloud environment is very easy these days. We're also using Google Apps as part of what we do. Probably the trickiest thing we do is we do a lot of custom IoT services, and that's an area where the market still really doesn't have standards and doesn't have agreement on how things should work. And so that can be quite daunting for another business to try and work that out. And we've found that the IoT area, there's people with catalogs of devices, like some people about 400, 500 you know, devices and sensors and things like that in a catalogue. But none of them might actually do what you need for a particular use case. So our biggest area of work at the moment is custom IoT systems and platforms, sensors, that sort of stuff. The environmental solution of the year was a IoT mesh network radio system for water metering with a 10-year battery life. And the idea there being that if the electrician actually costs more than the device. So if you can avoid needing an electrician for an install, then that's good. And plumbers and electricians really prefer not to need each other. So plumbers really like it if they don't need an electrician. Cool, cool. Yep, that's understandable, uh, Ray. And Ray, thanks, thanks a lot again for taking the time to speak with us today. Have a nice day and we'll touch base again. Thank you very much, Sam. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you have extra minute, please head over to iTunes and leave us a 5-star review. I did love to connect with you. Please let me know your biggest takeaways in this episode and tag me at 
sam at cloudsolutionit.com.au in your social media post or DM me to help me serve you better. Talk to you soon. Thank you.